This is Dennis Ramundi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg. Our podcast, Spirit Matters, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. Our guest back on the show today, uh, Dr. Rita Sherma. She is founding director and associate professor at the Mira and AJ Shingle Center for Dharma Studies, uh, core faculty, doctoral faculty at uh, the uh, Graduate Theological Union at uh, Berkeley, California. Thank you so very much for taking the time to come back on our show today. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Rita, um, it's uh, great to have you back. Um, you uh, are occupying a, a unique position in academia, um, initiating and running this uh, program at GTU on Hindu studies and Hindu Dharma. Uh, and, and you now have instituted a chaplaincy program. So uh, maybe you can fill us in on your progress since you were last on the show a couple of years ago uh, at GTU and uh, tell us about the chaplaincy program. Um, well, I'll start with the um, program in Dharma Studies at the GTU. Um, which I inaugurated in um, 2015, December. So it's been, you know, about, um, it's been about five years and, uh, or it will be this year. And in that time, we have, um, we have now about, we have over a dozen, we have a dozen PhD students uh, we have almost that many MA students, and we have, of course, a huge number of, of graduate certificate students. Um, and the difference in our program is that we don't treat Hinduism or Hindu Dharma as a foreign, exotic, eroticized, sensationalized religion or that which is to be studied entirely through anthropology and ethnography because it's you know far away and not part of our world we treat the tradition as an american religion mm -hmm. we therefore go back to its roots we, we discuss the history of hinduism in america we go back to its roots with um, even beyond uh, the transcendentalists, um, we talk about the time, uh, how in the late 19th century there was so much influence of um, Hindu texts and theologies upon what later became uh, um, American religious traditions. And the um, immense impact of the Hindu theological world on what we uh, dismissively called New Age, uh, but New Age cosmologies are now no longer new and almost part of the fabric of American spiritual consciousness. And when you look at a tradition as not part of some faraway region in the world, but part of America's religious fabric, then you begin to look at it and study it from a very different perspective. And my students who are, you know, future professors and future leaders, so many of them 
with the new cha Hindu chaplaincy, the first in the country, uh, will become religious leaders and, and chaplains and spiritual caregivers. So these students are already teaching and colleges, they are reaching already hundreds of people. And the students are, are looking at the tradition, uh, not as a South Asian tradition, but as a tradition rooted in the headwaters of the Vedas. So when you, when you see a tradition as rooted in text, in sacred text, everything changes. So, Rita, a, a follow-up question quickly, uh, if I can, Dennis. Um, uh, as you know, I'm I'm very familiar with the uh, transmission and the uh, impact of of Hindu Dharma in America. Does your program also uh, compare that or contrast it and go into uh, normative Hinduism in India as well? Um, our program is predicated on understanding the Hindu tradition as a global and planetary tradition, okay. as well as indigenous tradition. And uh, Phil, I wouldn't say you're familiar with it. I would say you are a pioneer in making that uh, information available to um, a worldwide audience. Well, thank but you. What we, what we do is we look at Hinduism in two ways to answer your question directly. The answer is yes and how, but the question that comes to mind is how do you do that? You, so Hindu, you know, Hindu dharma is an indigenous religion. By indigenous religions are religions of the land. They're religions of, the, of place. And so you know, every rock and every mountain and every tree has meaning. Um, and what happens with this religion, uh, religions of the place, is that it sacralizes and um, integrates itself into the ecosystem of place. Mm. And that is profoundly helpful. In fact, uh, I just am in the midst of writing uh, an article on this, that there is a huge body of research that shows that indigenous perspectives on ecology um, have a tremendous positive impact on ecological, benevolent ecological consciousness and the careful use of our resources. So yes, Hinduism is an indigenous religion, and we can learn a lot from that. Then, if we're, if, you know, just to keep with the ecological metaphor, what happens when people from this, you know, indigeneity, where you are part of sacred space and sacred place, come abroad and, and scatter all over the planet? India has the world's largest national diaspora uh, at 17 million, more than, but more than 80% of those are Hindus. In addition, we have a growing number of Hindus who are of Caucasian origin, Latino origin, Latinx origin, African-American origin, and, and, and all manner of origins. 
And so I encounter them on a daily basis with my students and colleagues. And so they ask me, how do I, how do I put this in the context of my practice as a Hindu who is not of South Asian origin? What does it mean to me that these particular trees, these five trees, Panjavati, a grove of five trees, these particular trees, and I sit in the center and meditate, but I'm not in India. These trees are not available to me. And my answer is, what are, what are the sacred trees of where you are? Are you in Canada? The maple and the birch, the aspen, and so forth. You make those five trees your Panchavati, your sacred grove. Um, so there is, there is this trans, uh, translation of indigenous practices into a new American um, and planetary, actually, uh, religion. Very good. Hey, let, let me ask, though, uh, I'm trying to understand this. Well, two questions. One is, uh, the first would be, uh, you inferred before that uh, Hinduism uh, has and is often uh, sensationalized in the West, and I wanted to uh, ask what you meant by that. But I also wanted to ask, um, when you, you talk about um, uh, Western Hindus, or whatever, in Judaism, in Christianity, which I'd be more familiar with, uh, there is a particular step or ceremony or procedure for becoming a Christian or a Jew. Uh, but I, I'm not sure what it means or how one becomes a Hindu. And, uh, and, and so if you talk about an increased uh, Hindu population uh, amongst uh, Caucasians, amongst Latinos, amongst African-Americans, uh, 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 what, what do you mean by that? Uh, how do they become Hindus? And how, who do you define a Hindu? And who do you, and, and do you differentiate them from somebody who's started a a, a a a Vedic practice like meditation with with Vedic mantras? Yeah, uh, but uh, you know, other than that, uh, you know, you wouldn't actually. Uh, they're they're not really practitioners of the of Hinduism. So the, those two questions. Um, yes. So let me answer um, the first. Yeah, let me answer it in order. Um, the way you enter the uh, Hindu world is through what is known as a sampradaya. Sampradaya literally is a lineage, but what you can, I translate sampradaya as denomination. So if as a Hindu, I look at Lutheranism, that's the lineage of Luther. I look at Methodism as a lineage of Wesley. So these are denominations, and some of these denominations have monastic orders associated with them, like Catholic denominations, and some of them, uh, well, ca Catholics don't have denominations per se, but they do have Society of Jesus, for example. Jesuits are not just priests. There are, you know, many, many householders who are Jesuit, right? So these uh, Hindu denominations are a combination of Catholic orders and Protestant uh, denominations. Western or not Western, I would say non-South Asian people who enter Hinduism enter it through one of these denominations. So we don't call it conversion or baptism, we call it uh, viksha. Viksha means initiation. So they're initiated as adherents 
and congregants into <clears throat> this particular lineage or denomination. So that's my answer to your first question. The answer to your second question is very complicated because what you're talking about, I mean, anybody walking down um, a beach in California will see a Hindu deity on someone's t-shirt. Okay, and the response that uh, second generation and third generation Hindus of South Asian origin have to that is, please take it off and put on something else. Um, I'm not wearing, you know, I mean, it's, it, it, this is, so the question becomes, where does cultural exchange end and misappropriation begin? And what I can tell you for to that, how, how I answer that, so my students, many of my students are Hindu of South Asian origin, but many more are Hindu of non-South Asian origin, and they are even more offended by it than the Hindus of South Asian origin. Um, because they have taken the trouble to enter into the stream that starts with the headwaters of the Vedas for millennia ago. They have, they have sacrificed um, sometimes family connections and they have sacrificed the privilege of being of the majority religion. And they have sacrificed time and effort to learn about this ancient four millennia year old, old tradition. And when they see others who are of their, say, ethnic or national background, do this kind of thing, walk about like this, is profoundly, profoundly disturbing to them. That's fascinating. Uh, Rita, I'm fascinated by the fact that more of your students at GTU are not of Indian origin. Um, First of all, I want to I want to say I have a t I have t-shirts with the Om symbol. I have t-shirts with Ganesha pictures. No one ever says anything. But if I were to wear shoes or a bathing suit with those symbols, that would be a very offensive thing. Um, it, it's it's fascinating to me. Uh, but my my larger question is, um, as you and I have discussed in the past, um, there are many many people. Unlike the, the um, non-South Asian people who are in your program who seem to identify with the word Hindu, there are a tremendous number of people in the West who practice, who are involved with a guru lineage or a, a sampradaya of one kind or another to one degree or another, and who practice various uh, methods of yoga and meditation and all the rest, whose who's personal spiritual orientation is more Hindu than anything else, and yet do not call themselves Hindu and avoid using that term. They may say, yes, I'm a yogi, or I'm a follower of guru so-and-so, but they don't right. think of themselves as Hindus. And this, I'm asked this question all the time. So let me ask it of a, of a, of a true scholar. Why is that? And how, what do you make of that? Um, the reason for that is because people feel that the word Hindu is um, fraught with political implications. Mm. And 
it goes right back to India's partition, uh, where the British decided to take one third of the land of India and give it to uh, the new country they called Pakistan, um, where it said the Muslims of India would live because they could not live under Hindu um, suzerainty. However, India now has the world's by far after Indonesia, the second largest population of Muslims in the world. And until very recently, uh, that was not an issue that people spoke about, but it has become an issue. So without getting into politics, I would say that scares people and it makes them uncomfortable to take on this uh, religious identity, which is associated with um, problems that stem from, you know, this uh, this distinction of the nation state of India having a traumatic birth history uh, in 1947, the modern nation state, not the ancient one. Now, I want to ask these people. Um, Christianity is associated by African-American scholars um, with the church's acquiescence and involvement, direct involvement, in the dispossession of the native peoples of the Americas and with the ongoing um, strife that is coming out of the oppression of African-America and with the and the Catholic Church is profoundly associated with um, the evisceration of the cultures of the of Latin and South America, and with the priest sexual abuse scandal. Does anybody say that that is all that Catholicism or Christianity is? Uh, all of these problems make me so embarrassed to use the term Christian or Catholic. No, I'll just call myself, I don't know. Uh, let me see, a Benedictine, yes. I'm not a Christian, I'm a Benedictine. I'm not a Catholic, I'm a Benedictine. I'm not a Christian, I'm a Methodist. Um, that is the kind of stupidity I see in this because when you decide you're not a Hindu, you're just a Siddha Yogi, you have limited yourself to one Strand, one tributary of a massive four millennia year old tradition. And with its vast resources for human well being, planetary well being, community well being, art, dance, architecture, literature, poetry, and its entire influence on Western civilization, which of course is uh, only now being. Um, brought to fore by authors such as yourself, Phil, um, you, you cut yourself off from all of this. And I don't see the benefit in it. But Hindu gurus are famous for doing that. Um, and part of the reason maybe that they're afraid to lose their new, you know, their new disciples to some other guru from some other lineage. So I blame, I blame this on the Hindu gurus who came in the 20th century. Mm -hmm. Well, well, but I, I wanted to ask uh, uh, Rita, 
the rise of what I what seems to me to be Hindu uh, nationalism, Hindu fundamentalism in India now, is that something that ultimately uh, hurts Hinduism? Is is it a true reflection of, of what Hinduism should be, or is it a perversion of what Hinduism is and should be? Well, um, first of all, you can't, you cannot have Hindu fundamentalism because there are the fundamentals of Hinduism are so diverse and multifaceted. Yeah. But you do have Hindu nationalism. You do have a push in India now that, as we do in America, Christianity is the way, Hinduism is the way. For those that are not Hindu, especially for those that are followers of Islam, right. uh, it, it affects them very directly. So the reason that you have this, first of all, is because of very complex historical reasons that are not brought to fore when these discussions take place. The, the, you know, why did this happen? How did this happen? India is not America. Uh, the Hindus experienced settler colonialism uh, for a thousand years. And the thing is that the British colonial period saw a tremendous amount of problems that led to a deeper division between Hindus and Muslims. And if you look into the history, religious history of the subcontinent, you will find that <clears throat> there are so many areas excuse me, where Muslim and Hindu uh, thinkers and theologians and mystics came together. Um, in my own tradition of Shaktism and Shakta Bhakti, uh, one of the well-known um, one of the well-known poets of Shakta Bhakti is Kazi Nazrul Islam. Um, but all of that has been impacted by uh, the way that Hinduism has been also treated by uh, a very secularist party that has been in control of India for more than half a century. And what is going on is painful, traumatic, disastrous, and sad, and I pray for India. However, I don't feel that when I'm asked these questions, I feel that I have to state that I am an American Hindu. I'm a Canadian American Hindu. And if I meet someone on the street with an Italian name um, or a Hungarian name, I'm not going to say, well, tell me what you think of what's happening in Italy or Hungary. They're going to look at me strangely. No, no, but uh, excuse me. Why wouldn't they... Uh, why wouldn't you ask them that question, or why wouldn't they ask you that question? You would probably have more insight, or I, I would have more insight into uh, something, because I have a more direct connection than they do. I'm not from that country, necessarily, but but I certainly would have perhaps more insight, and, and it's reason for discussion. And sometimes they don't have somebody who has a, a deeper understanding to talk to, so they start that conversation, and maybe you direct them, but I, I think it's a legitimate conversation. It is not a legitimate conversation to have for somebody who is second, third, or fourth generation American Hindu. Yeah, but they can tell you what they're, those people that they're directly uh, connected to in those countries might think, because they probably have that, that access, whereas yes. you would not have that access. So... Who, who should they ask? <laughs> yeah. Can, can I answer that? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So I wasn't actually trying to answer that. 
first I wanted to say, I give you a little bit of background, but what I'm trying to say is my Muslim friends are very deeply offended when people ask them, um, so uh, they grew up in Minneapolis or they grew up in Vancouver and they were born in America or they were born in Canada and they're asked, what do you think of what Afghanistan is doing committing genocide against Sikhs and Hindus? or what ISIS is to, what do you think? Um, they are profoundly offended by that because they don't, they don't go about asking Russian, you know, Russian Orthodox people who are second or third generation, what do you think about what's going on there? The, the fact that we are asked when we are people who are ethnic minorities, when we are asked that, we are culturally disenfranchised from being American. We're being told you're actually Indian, your religion's actually from India, India has political issues, what do you think of it? Well, I don't, I'm not interested in, in, in actually, I'm, I don't wanna to touch on that. I wanna to touch on my tradition, which has its headwaters in theologies and texts and traditions of art and dance and drama and contemplative uh, experience and in ecology and, and why do I need to respond to the politics of a nation state. Hinduism once spread from Afghanistan to Malaysia, from the Himalayas to Indonesia. It is now shrunk to the subcontinent, but at the same time, it is now expanded planetarily. I'm interested in speaking about that. So Why? Yeah. I understand that entirely as somebody who, because of his last name, is been asked about Israel for his whole life. And now because of my work is also asked about India, despite not being of Indian descent. So I understand that I understand why people would ask these questions. I also understand why it would be offensive to some people or many people. Um, let me segue, Rita, to your uh, chaplaincy program at GTU. What exactly will the people who take that program learn uh, how, is it different in any way from chaplaincy programs that we're familiar with when a, a, a Christian or a Jewish chaplain goes into a, a hospital or setting like that? Can you explain a little bit more about the training? Yes, our training is, is unique. Um, this, so we're actually uh, starting um, with our, we have the Center for Dharma Studies, which I direct. We have the Center for Islamic Studies and the Center for Jewish Studies. And what we have uh, done is we have created an interreligious chaplaincy. We already have Christian chaplaincy. We already have Buddhist chaplaincy. So what we've done is created a new interreligious chaplaincy with a Hindu track, a Jewish track, and a um, um, Muslim track, Islamic track. And the and the students will be doing a master's in Hindu theology texts and traditions or Jewish you know, philosophy texts and traditions or Islamic um, theology texts and traditions. After that master's, they will take one year or eight courses on chaplaincy that is informed both by interreligious uh, pedagogy, teaching style, and by the field, the multidisciplinary field that is chaplaincy itself, the discipline of chaplaincy. So we, you know, we might have different theologies or different 
textual exegetical forms and different um, narratives we use to help people. But when it comes to um, grief, bereavement, disaster, trauma, you know, we're all human. And when chaplains are on call, they will meet people of many different traditions. So we want our chaplains to be both deeply, um, deeply situated in their uh, in their knowledge of Hindu spiritual care, as well as capable of interreligious outreach to people who are suffering and need their help, but who are not of the Hindu uh, faith. Interesting. So, this is a this is a novel, innovative, and leading edge program, and uh, we are working the so the the Muslims and the Hindus and the Jews and the Christians are working together on this, mm-hmm. and shattering boundaries as we do so. One one follow up question, if uh, I can. Maybe final Dennis. question because yeah. Yeah. Um, will the uh, people who are trained in the program, if they go to a hospital, say, and there's a, a a Hindu patient who is ailing um, or uh, dying, will they uh, do traditional pujas? Will they be uh, do uh, rituals that yes. Might, might, yes, okay. They will, they will be trained in Hindu ritual services. Um, they will be not trained in specific pujas for deities, but they will be trained in foundational Hindu uh, ritual services mantras, uh, Vedic chants, um, and the major texts from which most Hindus um, take or elicit uh, spiritual care teachings, and uh, we'll be delivering that to them. Very good. Dennis, anything? No, uh, thank you so very much for your time, and maybe we could do a third uh, at some point, <laughs> yes. where we could really focus on the uh, uh, on the chaplaincy, you know, the, the, the work you're doing in that area and what's going on. I think that's fascinating and uh, like to hear. Uh, we'll have to follow uh, up and see how the program's going. Rita, when, I, when we first uh, booked you for today, I thought we would have time to talk about Shankara. Um, <laughs> because no, that, that'll be the next one. Next so time, we'll have we to have you. into a series. Yeah. Yes, we'll have to have you back to talk about Shankara. Shankara and the New Age. Okay, it's a yeah. deal. Well, why don't actually? Why don't we plan on doing one on that? Yeah. Because we will we'll distract you with other with the wrong questions. <laughs> <laughs> You're a very knowledgeable person, so we there's a lot of directions we could take. So you have to direct us. So yeah, for sure. Okay. We'll talk about that, that right, another so time. All the best luck with the new programs at GTU and uh, continued success with the with the great work you're doing there. Many thanks, uh, Dennis, and many thanks, Phil. I really enjoyed being with you, and you're doing wonderful service. Thank you. We look forward to the next one. Bye. Bye.